It is good to be here with you all this morning. If you've never seen me, I usually attend on Saturday nights, so I would not even be here now. But uh, it is great to be here with you all. Look forward to getting to know more of you over the years as I continue to work here. Uh, So today, our passage, right? Luke 22. Uh, But I want you to think about the self-serve world that we live in, right? It's a self-serve world. Places like Target and Home Depot have these self-serve registers where you go in and you scan and bag your own items. You see, they've tricked us into doing their work for us, for them, and we pay them to do it, right? They even have that supervisor there that watches us while we're all doing their work for them as we bag it and put it away, right? It's a self-serve world. You think about the airport now, there's the self-serve kiosk. You even have to print your own ticket before you show up now or check in on your phone. Think of the the bank, right? You can pretty much do everything in the lobby of the bank with these self-serve machines or the ATM machines that you can do inside of the bank. It's a self-serve world. The the DIY industry, right? Have you heard of this? Do it yourself, right? There's a DIY channel on TV. You can go to the store and buy some DIY products. If you've ever been to Pinterest, it's the black hole DIY of the internet. It scares me, honestly. It's a self-serve world. One of the most dangerous self-serves out there, and I really have to tell you about this one, is the frozen yogurt companies. Have you seen these places, right? I mean, it's brilliant marketing. Frozen yogurt, right? If I freeze yogurt, will it taste this good? So you go in there into these frozen yogurt stores, and there's three sizes of bowls, huge, giant, and enormous, and they give you access to the self-serve machine where you could just pour yourself as much frozen yogurt as you like, ice cream. And then you go to the check stand, and then there's, before you get there, there's candy, piles of candy you can serve yourself. But interestingly, the only thing you can't serve yourself here is the checkout, right? Someone's got to be there to weigh all that ice cream that you've given yourself. It's a self-serve world. Well, what would it look like if we were actually people that would serve others in this self-serve world? Right? Could you go to Target or Home Depot and stand there and be willing to serve and I'll bake that for you, you know, for free? Would someone want you touching their stuff? Think about the frozen yogurt store. Would you be able to go and serve someone their ice cream for them? No, that'd be weird. Or the ATM machine. Here, let me get that cash for you, right? (laughs) Or do a DIY project on your neighbor's house for free. Would your neighbor want you to do a DIY project on their house for free, right? It's weird to serve others in a self-serve world sometimes, right? But in the kingdom of God, we're told to serve. We're to be ones that serve. But why should we serve in a self-serve world, right? Can't people do that themselves? I mean, it's self-serve. But what would a serve others world look like? What would marriages look like in a serve others world? What would our relationship with other people look like if we were in a serve others world? What could this world look like if we were more about serving others and less about serving ourselves? It's no wonder that in a broken world of sin, the mantra is self-serve. Serve yourself. Today's passage is Luke 22, and it's Peter's denial. But the message that I have today to coincide with that is one who serves, right? What does Peter's denial have to do with serving? 
Well, you see, if Peter's denial is simply about overcoming sin, that'd be a simple message. Hey, stop sinning. Go home, try harder, do better. But if Peter's denial is connected to one of Jesus' last messages to serve, now we have purpose. A purpose to serve. One who serves. Pray with me if you will. Father God, we thank you for your word. And I echo the words of that song that we just sang. God, may we all see Christ today. May your spirit preach to each and every one of us here that we would see Christ today. And in Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 22 as we start to study Peter's denial. Our passages today are specifically verses 31 through 34 and 54 through 62, right? It's an odd cut. Perhaps that's why Mike gave it to the six preachers to do. Uh, But in order to understand anything as it relates to scriptures, you have to understand the context. The context meaning what's happening in the larger story here. What comes before is important for what comes next, Think about the movie Rudy, right? If you watch the last five minutes of Rudy, oh my goodness, he's a star football player. They're cheering his name. He comes out, he sacks the quarterback, right? But if you watch the whole movie, you realize this little pipsqueak guy finally gets the chance to play and he sacks the guy. That's a better movie, right? Context is everything. When you study the scriptures, context is extremely important. Second, when you're studying scripture, You also have to think about what genre that you're in, right? We have uh, poetry. We have wisdom literature. We have narrative. The Gospels are a narrative. And when you're studying narrative in the Scriptures, you have to look at the dialogue of the characters. What are they saying? You have to look at the characters themselves. What are they doing, right? Context, genre, narrative, right? And so when we're studying the narrative now, who's our major characters in this story throughout Luke chapter 22? Well, we have... Jesus, he's always the star of the story. We have Judas and we have Peter. These are our major characters in this story here, this message of one who serves. The minor characters, we could say it's John and the other disciples. We have the teachers of the law. Satan even shows up here. And then what we'll see is a small crowd around the fire at the end of our story. And there's two major scenes that are happening here, right? At the beginning, we have Jesus innocent, hanging out with his disciples. But at the end, we have Jesus guilty without his disciples. Major changes are going to take place in this chapter here. And the big scene is Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples, if we talked about uh, in the previous week. But we're also going to have Jesus in the garden with his disciples. The movement is going to be Jesus as innocent to Jesus as guilty. Satan entering the scene to Jesus soon exiting the scene to his death on the cross. So, Let's focus in on the chapter here. I'm going to do a quick kind of play-by-play as we move through here, and then we'll kind of really zero in our passages as we think about the context here. So if you look at Luke chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, the scene is set here by Luke. This is kind of the setting of this narrative. We know that the teachers of the law want to kill Jesus. They want him dead. But they're afraid of the people, so they're not going to do it. But Judas enters the scene, and for money, he's willing to betray Jesus. He's serving himself. He's getting money, and he'll betray Jesus. Major character in this story, right? But then what happens is Peter, with John, enters the scene, sent by Jesus to go to prepare the Passover. 
right? Now, there's a miracle that takes place when there's a room that's furnished for them to celebrate the Passover. The meal was not prepared for them. Think about this meal. This is Passover in Jerusalem. This is a big, important meal, right? It wasn't prepared for them. They were going to have to prepare it themselves, Peter and John. Think about like Thanksgiving, right? You've got to have all those certain things to be ready for this meal. Well, that's the work that Peter and John have to do. They are preparing it. They're serving. So already we're seeing two different characters doing two different things, right? Judas we see serving himself and going after money. Peter we see with John serving by preparing the Passover meal. So then we enter this scene where Jesus is sitting down at the table and he is having a conversation with his disciples. And it's quite an interesting dinner party that takes place here. And Jesus says, this is it, folks. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is the last time that I'm going to celebrate this meal. And so uh, Jesus has this beautiful imagery of him uh, giving out the bread, which he says, this is me giving my body. He's, he's talking about the cup, which is him pouring out his blood. But what's most shocking in this story is it doesn't end there. Right in the same sentence as Jesus is talking about how he's going to die, and this is the blood that's going to be poured out, he says in verse 21, look at it, it says, but the one who's going to betray me to my death is right here. That's a shocking conversation. Right? You thought your political conversations over Christmas were bad. I'm going to die, and one of you is going to betray me. That's crazy, but it doesn't stop there. It gets even more interesting. The disciples start questioning, okay, who's going to do this? We're not sure. But the fight really breaks out when they're talking about, well, which one of us is the greatest? Think about that. What if you were to say, hey, I'm going to die. This is the last meal I'm going to have. One of you is going to do it. But you're fighting about who is the greatest among you? To, I think Jesus would be shocked or angry or upset. But what is his response in verses 26 and 27? Jesus says this, the greatest among you is one who serves. Jesus says, I am one who serves. You are to be the ones who serve. The greatest is one who who serves. So in the context of Luke 22, as we think about Peter's denial, the message from Jesus is he is one who serves. That's why the title of the sermon today is One Who Serves. So now that we have the context built and understanding everything that's come before, we come into our passages today, verses 31 through 34. It's the first section that we're going to study. So I'm going to slow down a little bit and we're going to try to understand this as much as possible. So look at verses 31 through 34 in Luke 22. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. All right, now Jesus is using that old parent trick of, you know, when you say the unused first name or that unused middle name, right, gets your attention quick. But then also saying your name twice. When Jesus says your name twice, you better listen, right? Jesus is getting Peter's attention in a serious way. It is very important what Jesus is about to say. Look at back in verse 31. He says, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. To sift something like wheat is probably not something a lot of us know, right? So what's shocking about this is that Satan is going after Peter, or Satan is really going after the disciples, But sifting like wheat, what does that mean? 
You see, for me, I always thought sifting like wheat simply just meant you're, you're cutting it down. Well, that's called harvesting, right? That's why we have harvesting. That's what that word is for. So sifting is actually where you take the wheat stalks, according to my research, you take the wheat stalks and you beat them on the ground, right? It's not sounding good so far. Then you have this little mess on the ground. You take it and you throw it up in the air. The useless chaff blows away, and now we have these wheat grains that are useful, right? Sifting like wheat does not sound like something you want to go through. Perhaps it's an ancient Near Eastern way of trash talking to sift someone like wheat. I don't have any evidence on that, but sifting like wheat should be shocking to hear. Peter has got his attention given. He should be scared that there is the sifting like wheat to come. But look at what Jesus says in verse 32 there. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's an interesting statement, right? I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Interesting because Jesus doesn't say, Satan's after you, you're going to be sifted like wheat, but I've prayed that it won't even going to happen. You know, we're done. That's not what Jesus does. That's not how God always works in our lives, right? Hardships will come. That's what we're hearing here. That's what we're seeing here. We will have hardships in this life. But what's amazing here is that Jesus' prayer is a preservation of faith through that hardship. Interesting, as Jesus phrases that here. But look at what comes next. And when you have turned again, I want you to strengthen your brothers. The message to Peter is to strengthen his brothers. When he turns again, strengthen your brothers. Simply put, we could just say, serve your brothers. So when Jesus sits down and has uh, Peter listening intently, basically, hardship is coming, right? Hardship, sifting like wheat. Satan is after you. Hardship. But also, when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Serve. In the context of our passage, Jesus was just talking about one who serves. So strengthening your brothers is saying, serve your brothers. So the message is this, hardship and serve, right? Hardship and serve. But let's look at how Peter responds to this message. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter responds to the hardship. Jesus brings the message of hardship and serve. And Jesus says, well, Peter says, I'm going to beat that hardship. I'll go to prison with you, Jesus. I will die with you, Jesus. He wants to overcome the hardship. But look how Jesus responds to this. Verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus tells him exactly what the hardship is going to be. Exactly what the sifting like wheat is going to be. He would not deny Christ just once or twice, but three times. Before the rooster crows, meeting within hours of this conversation, Peter is going to do exactly what Jesus is telling him and deny Christ three times. Why would Jesus tell Peter this? This kind of foreshadowing of his denial. Why would he even have this message of hardships going to come and you're not going to beat it? You know, why would he tell him these things? Perhaps we could think, well, okay, you could say, okay, Peter, you're about to deny me three times. So I just want you to just answer yes to any questions the rest of the night. You'll have it, beat it. You won't sin. We'll be done. Good job. We've overcome it, 
right? Is that Jesus' message to Peter? No, the hardship is going to come. But what's left there in that message, if Peter can't beat this hardship at all, it's the words, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. In the context of the passage, we're learning the message Jesus wants Peter to know before he dies, when there won't be a time for them to debrief this, that you are to serve. Peter, serve. So just a quick refresh to look at everything that is built to this, right? We have Judas entering the scene, going after money, serving himself. We have Peter with John entering the scene to serve the disciples by preparing the Passover. We have Jesus uh, serving the Passover, this beautiful imagery of his body that he's going to give, his blood that's going to be poured out. This is an imagery of him serving salvation through his death on the cross. And when the disciples want to find about who is the greatest, Jesus says the greatest is the one who serves. And when he gets Peter aside and tells him about the hardship coming, he wants him to remember, you might not beat this hardship, but the message is you should serve. One who serves. You see, Jesus didn't come to establish a self-serve church. He didn't come to save us so that we would just beat our sins and be good people. He came that we would be a serve others community, a serve others place in the world. How do you serve those around you in your daily life? Where do you serve? When do you make time to serve? If you look at this through the lens of volunteering, the U.S. Bureau of Labor actually keeps statistics on this. I'm kind of a numbers of person, right, director of finance. So I was like, I've got to research the numbers on this uh, volunteering or serving percentages, right? So according to the U.S. government, if we can trust that completely right, they say that only one in four of us is actually serving or volunteering. That's 25%. That number was up to 30% in 2003, but it's on a downhill climb down to 25% today. But the numbers are most interesting in that women volunteer more than men. Good job, women. Uh, Those with more education serve more than those that have less education. Those with a job actually double the amount of those that don't have a job. This is what I thought was interesting. Those that are married serve more than those that don't, that aren't married. Those that have kids serve more than those that don't have kids. Those between the age of 35 to 64 serve more than those that are under 35 or over 65. Seems to me like the people that are serving the most are those with the least amount of free time, and those with the least amount of free time are serving the most. So in researching the numbers, I was also researching, well, how much free time do we have in this, right? So there's 160 hours in a week. And perhaps some of us here are people that work a lot. So perhaps you say maybe you work half of those hours. You should probably work less. But you work half of those hours, right? Then you have to sleep, we have to eat, there's commuting, all these other things that we have to do, right? So... The U.S. Bureau of Labor also knows how much free time that we have. And so they say that we have uh, between three to six hours a day of free time. Three hours on the weekdays, six hours on the weekend. So that's about 28 hours a week of free time. Well, if one in four of us are serving, you know how on average those one in four are serving? It's only one hour a week. 28 hours available, one hour a week is spent serving. Think about that. What would our world look like if we were less about serving ourselves but more about serving others? 
Jesus is one who serves. His message to the disciples is to be one who serves. How do you serve those around you in your everyday life? Where do you serve? When do you make time to serve? One who serves. Our passage doesn't end there. Uh, In the context, we're going to move as we go on to verses 54 through 62. But before we get there, there's a few stops along the way as we understand what's happening in Luke 22. Jesus and the disciples are now heading over to the garden. And there's some talk of being prepared and some talk about swords. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53 where he talks about the, uh, he's to be numbered among the criminals. That's why Jesus' death on the cross isn't this beautiful sacrifice. It's this agonizing, terrible death. Jesus was prophesied to be among the criminals. What's interesting, though, is that Luke is quoting from Isaiah 53, which is about the suffering servant. Serve is throughout this passage rife. Even the prophecies that are coming through are messages about one who serves. But Jesus repeats something in the garden twice that I think is also important in the context here. Jesus says to his disciples before they enter in the garden, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And so we see just Jesus praying for what perhaps you could say maybe is so that he would not fall into temptation. For you theologians out there, that's even possible, right? And then in the agony of bloodstained sweat and tears, he rises up. He tells the disciples again, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And then we see the betrayer come and Jesus is led off to be on trial. And what we have here is the story of Peter now slowly coming behind Jesus. And we all know what's going to happen, right? We all know what's going to happen, even Peter. Look at verses 54 with me as we read through this. Then seizing him, they led him away. They took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter was following at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. In the Greek, that could just be ma'am. Don't think that Peter's being cold here. Uh, A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter replies, Man, I am not. And about another hour later, another asserted, Certainly his fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. It is clear to everyone at this bonfire that Peter was with Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. And Peter is somehow convinced that no one would know it, and so he has already twice denied. And what happens next? Look what Peter says. Peter replied, verse 60, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Who saw that coming? Peter has denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. Three times in one night. Three times out of just having that conversation. Remember, Peter was going to go to prison with Jesus. Peter was going to die with Jesus. Peter couldn't even tell a little servant girl that he knew who Jesus was. Peter has been sifted like wheat. How easy it is to fall into temptation and sin, right? Temptation is, it's never easy. Otherwise, we wouldn't call it being tempted. We call it being annoyed or 
or bothered. You know, that's why we call it devil's chocolate cake because it's so good. We just got to have it. We don't call it devil's broccoli. It's just <laughs> broccoli, right? No one has a problem with eating too much broccoli except for you vegetarians out there. It's a different problem. Um, now, perhaps you're saying, well, Paul, we're getting distracted with the temptation and sin part. We're on the context, the message to serve. Well, we can't go outside the context. Jesus has said twice, pray that you do not fall into temptation, right? That's important. But what's interesting there is even that whole notion, right? What's happening there? Pray that you do not fall into temptation, right? So what's interesting is we're not praying that temptation never comes, right? That we never see temptation at all. Because what is being said, basically, it's what's implicit, is that temptation will come. We will be tempted. But it also doesn't say, try hard, do your best to overcome temptation. You know, work at it. Stop it. It's pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. That's Jesus' message. We have to pray that we do not fall into temptation. We cannot beat it ourselves. But what does this have to do with service, right? What does this have to do with serve? Well, perhaps sin, in a very oversimplified definition, is serving our sinful desires. Serving ourselves over others. Sin is serving in a distorted way. You see, I would say Peter served himself safety in disowning Christ. Serving himself instead of serving the mission by letting others know. And it's no wonder that in a world broken with sin, the mantra is serve yourself. It's no wonder that our sin-filled world is it's self-serve. Perhaps it's a spectrum, right? We should be over here serving others. But what happens is temptation comes along and it turns our direction to serving our sinful desires, to serving ourselves over others. Think about those temptations that so often trip you up into sin. What do you have to tell yourself again and again and again to do that sin? In social media, there's a line that's called Treat yourself, right? That's three words, treat yourself. You could say treat yourself, but that's not as much fun at all. Treat yourself is, is much better. So if you say treat yourself, it's because you're probably buying something you might not be able to afford, that you really shouldn't have it a bought, or you're eating something that you didn't have the calories for that day. But hey, you got to treat yourself, right? <laughs> So if you Google hashtag treat yourself, you're going to see people that are posting clothes and shoes and lots of desserts. It's very interesting, right? Treat yourself is what you say when you need to have it. you got to do it. It's kind of a, a salve for your conscience, right? It's what you do to feel better. Marketers have even picked up on this now, right? You'll see companies say, hey, we're having a special on wings. you got to treat yourself right? But isn't that so often what temptation is for us? That feeling of we just got to treat ourselves. We just got to serve ourselves. We need it. It'll be good for us. What do we say to ourselves? We say we deserve it, right? You see, we should be over here serving others, 
But we get our temptation comes and now we're serving ourselves or serving our sinful desires. We have 168 hours in a week. Only one of four of us is giving just one hour to serving others. But 100% of us each day serving ourselves in sin. You see, we're just like Peter. We failed. We can't beat that sin. Even when we know what it is, we know what's coming. Perhaps it's not specifically a denial of Christ, as it is in this story, but we are like Peter. Now, that might feel a little heavy, right? But there's good news in the gospel. There is hope in the gospel, and this story here has it for us. If you remember one line in the story, it says, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Did you see that in verse uh, 61? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, Jesus is over here on trial. We know that he's probably being spit at, he's being punched, he's being beaten. It's a terrible thing what is happening. Peter's over here by a fire warming himself. But Jesus turns and looks straight at Peter. It's the climax of the story. It's not the rooster crowing, which is more cinematic, right? He turns and he looks straight at Peter. What do you think that look looked like? What could possibly Jesus be communicating in that look? You think it was shock, anger, disappointment? You sell out. I knew you were going to do this. See, I don't think it could be any of those things, right? Because Jesus already knew exactly what was going to happen. He, he told Peter about it. And when he told Peter, he didn't say, you know, this is terrible what you're going to do. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith would be uh, preserved through this. And the message to go serve your brothers. You see, I think when Jesus turns and looks at Peter, and I, but I don't have pictures in my Bible, it's a look of love. A look that says, Peter, I love you. Peter, today I die for those sins. Peter, you're, you're forgiven. Peter, I'm going through this terrible thing, but I know your pain. Peter, you're forgiven. But don't forget the message, Peter. Go strengthen your brothers. Go serve your brothers. Serve one who serves. This is indeed a self-serve world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are all self-serve people. But imagine what our world would look like if we would be a church that is a serve-others community? What would our marriages look like if we were a serve-others type of spouse? What would our families look like if we were a serve-others kid or a serve-others type of parent? Would by some chance perhaps your coworkers or neighbors or family or friends come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ because you, like Jesus, are a serve-others person? What would this world look like if the church was a serve-others community? You see, in this story, we have our three major characters, right? There's Judas. He's serving himself in money. We have uh, Peter almost making it, right? He starts out serving. He's trying to overcome his own sin, but he can't. He falls prey to it. But we see a Savior serving us salvation, Serving us, moving us from a self-serve people in bondage to serving our sinful desires to a serve others type of person. Jesus is one who serves, 
We are to be ones who serve. But we all fall into temptation, don't we? It's just not good enough. We so often fall into temptation. But you know what? The good news is that Jesus knows that. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sin. And Jesus loves you. Right? I believe Jesus is turning and looking at us, not in disgust, not in shame, but in love. Those sins that perhaps might make you weep, Jesus loves you. Jesus has died for those sins. Jesus has forgiven those sins. See, it's time to move beyond the sin of serving ourselves and serving our sinful desires because we're free. We are free from the bondage of serving ourselves to be those that serve others. Christ has not saved us that we would continue in serving ourselves or be a a nice person overcoming our sin, but that we would be a serve others people. And you cannot do this by yourself. That's why Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, right? It is through his spirit, through his power, not that we beat our sin or we try harder to serve, but that by God's grace and the power of his spirit, we are people that serve others. Think about what your life would look like if you were ones that would serve others. You can serve. We can serve because Jesus is one who serves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you served us in salvation. We thank you that you've freed us from our sins. We thank you that we're no longer in the bondage of serving ourselves, but that by your grace, we can be a people, a community, a body of believers that serves others. Thank you, Jesus, for serving us. And in your name we pray. Amen.